I'm your host, Jeff Dawson, for another episode of Dawson's Domain, where we cover the spectrum of life's pressing issues and events, from politics to relationships, sports to horror, alternative history to poetry, humor to baseball coaching, and everything in between. Texas. At least it's getting that way. And by the forecast, we will see 100 tomorrow, which will be the first time this year. That's okay. Man, it's been a long time since we had a cool July like this. Of course, everyone has kind of complained, but it's I'm not. I remember those days when it was 100 degrees in May and June, July and August. And you just, is it ever going to end? And eventually it would, but man, this has been a really, really nice, nice summer. The first shout out I'm going to give is to my oldest granddaughter, Colleen Buckton. She is down in Houston, where our hosts reside now, playing in the International Pony World Series Fast Pitch Softball Tournament. And... That's quite an accomplishment. And what's cool is she's all excited about the international teams that they're getting to play. They played Mexico this morning and lost four to one, but she didn't care. She thought it was really cool. They got to play other teams. And word on the street was there was a team from Russia. I don't know if they made it or not, but she just thinks this is so cool and reminded me of when back in 2006, I bought tickets to the World Cup softball tournament, which was held at the Brickyard in Oklahoma City. My oldest son and his half-sister, and I think she took a friend or two, were able to go five days, nothing but softball, and they had a wonderful time. They really enjoyed it. So to Texas Elite, it's a shout-out. I hope you do well. They've got to play three games today, so if it's hot in Dallas, you know it's hot and muggy in Houston. I know my daughter was complaining about it, but uh, that's the price you pay when you go with a traveling team, so I hope they do well. Okay, our next shout-out is going to go to Dunstan's, and it was a Very enjoyable evening because we hadn't seen Kevin and Lisa for quite some time. They made an appearance and she, Lisa bought my book, Irving Titans. Thank you very kindly. And of course, Jerry and Patty, the mainstays, those that uh, keep the restaurant alive and loose and happy. I don't know about these hugs, Patty. We're going to do something about that, but, uh, We had a new member who had not probably been there in six months, and that was Mr. Lee Stewart. And he's been a friend of mine for about five years. And I just mentioned that I was going to Dunstan's, and he came up and said, man, when are you going? I said, well, about 10 minutes. Let me change my clothes, and we'll go. And he had a grand time, especially when Kevin shared his 
prison story about selling the uh, penitentiary's bagels. And Lee was completely engrossed in the story. He thought he knew where it was gone, but when it came down to it, he just, the look on his face was priceless. He was like, I won't use, I won't quote Mr. Stewart because that would be pretty harsh, but basically you've got to be kidding me. But it was a grand time. Good time was had by all our waitresses as we had both of the Tracys there last night and Tabitha, who is still nursing her wounded wing from the accident she was in about five or six weeks ago. And Tracy and I did discuss the upcoming book signing. It looks like it's going to be at the Lover's Lane location. No set time yet, but we are working on that. And it was really cool that I sold, uh, what was that, four books last night. Two had already been pre-ordered by Patty for Stacy Legrand or West, of which I'll get to in a minute. And, uh, Jacqueline Mack, who had heard the Facebook video I did on July 20th honoring my, the passing of Debbie. But also, Louisa joined us, and she is about I think five or six months pregnant. And she saw the book and was like, well, what's it all about? So I went and got her a copy. And she came in, she read the first chapter and was like, she didn't tell me this was real and how dare you make a pregnant woman cry. That's what Lee jumped up and he said, well, you are pregnant. So your emotions are kind of, yeah, but he didn't tell me it was going to be like this. And then she came back in probably 15 minutes later and had read the first chapter and was like, are you just stupid or what? And it's like, Oh, you must've read about the part where I couldn't decide between Debbie and Betsy. She goes, that was just so wrong. I said, yeah, but I had to be hundred percent committed. So I had to make sure there was nothing left with Betsy before I really dove in with Debbie. And that book, I'm going to read from it at the very end of this and put this on a high note because some of the other stuff I'm going to cover is not really high. It's politics, so you take it from there. But it was great to see that type of response, and that's why we write. And Patty... She loved the book. Lisa loved the book. So they were talking to Louisa about it. She's like, well, I can't wait to finish it. And she was only on chapter two. That was really cool. Very cool. And of course, Jerry is always talking about the Gateway series. He just can't get enough of it. He's, he's struggling with the vampire series, which I completely understand. It's, it's a lot of history. You have vampires in the Third Reich. You have Polish and Russian names. There is a cast of characters. And you really do have to concentrate to determine, okay, which clan is which and who doesn't like whom. And it, once you can find the flow, it's it picks up. But uh, he's taking his time. No worries. I just ask him every once in a while. And he's like, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Okay. Patience is a virtue. And as writers, we have to have that. And I mentioned uh, Stacy LeBron, Stacy West. She runs a Facebook site called the Shaggy Buffalo. 
Now, guys, unless you just like cross-dressing, it's really not for you. But for you gals, she's got a lot of really neat items. Each week, she's got something new, something different. And her broadcast lasts about one to two hours <clears throat> because she goes through everything she's got for sale. And I have watched uh, portions of an episode or two. And she's very upbeat, great gal, and we are glad to report, because I mentioned this, I believe it was, if not the last episode, the one before that, where her father uh, had to go to the hospital, and Dale is recovering nicely. I'm not sure if they're reading, but as I understand, Dale has started the Gateway series, and seems to like it so far. And on another note, Jerry had told me he gets he has to go to the get infusions. I think it's like once a month or something. And uh, he ran into his wife Kay, and I believe she was reading the Women of War book, which is my poetry book dedicated to women who have served or not served in our military on the front lines and at the home front. And the home front is just as tough as the front lines. Now you can find all of my books at the website, LDDJEnterprises.com. Don't go to buy the books, go to the blog. I don't know how to do HTML language. I tried and I failed. I know that's a shock, but it just didn't work out. If you click on the blog, on the left and the right side, you will see book covers. You click on the book covers, it takes you to the Amazon site where you can purchase them. And uh, the one I mentioned earlier, Love's True Second Chance, is on sale right now for $357. That's a pretty damn good price for that book. The uh, printed copy, if you buy it through them, is $1157, but that does not include tax and shipping. And it won't be signed. So if you are interested in the signed copy and you're in the DFW area, I will keep you posted when I will host these book signings at Dunstan's. I'm really looking forward to it. I haven't done one in a long time and I really do enjoy them. The last shout out is to a gentleman by the name of Wayne Clark and his site, The Right Buzz. And I met Wayne just under a year ago. And he and his uh, bride, Nicole, were starting this website podcast. And I believe I was one of the first to be interviewed with him. He's based out of Great Britain. So what do we got, a six to seven hour time difference? That was unusual doing an interview at, I believe it was nine o'clock our time, nine or ten. But he is diversifying. He is expanding. If you're into music, whether it's from the States or from Europe, you get some really good guests on there. And again, I have watched some of his episodes. He's, they're both good hosts. You just don't interview with one. It's usually both of them. And uh, that's kind of fun because they don't always have the same opinion on a topic. So you have a lively discussion. My daughter is on line one. Okay, what does my daughter have to say? I just saw that. What? Hello? 
Hello. Yes. Hello. Your your other daughter's here too. Oh my <laughs> God. <laughs> okay. These two fine individuals that are with my daughter are Susan and Brian Borarski. And I will say this much. I used Brian's Russian name, because that's where it's from, in the vampire book. Now, he's about 50 years old. He's bald. He's irritating, but he's a very good friend. And his wife, well, that's just a bowling ball in motion. And how are you all today? We're, we're doing well. We're at the baseball field. Softball field. Or softball field. It's, it's softball, Susan, not baseball, but that's okay. I know. I know. I, I need to keep reading books, but do you do you um, have them in large print? What do you need? Like an elementary size print? Like like large print for people who can't see as well like me. Do you have them in large print? Well, you'd have to ask Colleen and Savannah. They've seen something. Now, occupation, that's, that's kind of small print, but uh, most of them, it's a twelve font, so that's yeah, you know, that's, that's normal. Fourteen is too big, and that would take too many pages. It? A fourteen font would be too much and too many pages and cost too much. So they're all in twelve. Okay, I'll read it through my phone. Yeah, you can try that now. Yeah, I'll use it as my phone. Too. I got a question for both of you because I just heard something. What? And I'm one of those that's on the fence with the vaccine. But I found <laughs> out that both of you contracted COVID. Yeah. So what are your thoughts on the vaccine? Because as I understand, Brian did go to the ICU and was there for like two weeks. Yeah. yeah, he was, he was, yes, he was there for two weeks and he took a long time for recovery. So what are your thoughts on the vaccine for someone like me? Well, we, well, ha we haven't taken it. Yeah, personally, uh, I mean, for me, I, I'm, I'm not going to do it. I, I, I think my body has the antibodies now. I mean, I, I, my body went through hell and back. And uh, I, I mean, I think I, I think I can fight it off. But what I tell everybody is, is a, it's a personal decision for each person. It's, if, if you're if, if you feel, uh, you know, scared that you might get it or, or contract it and, and you want to get the vaccine, get it. it. And if you don't, don't let people bully you into it. Uh, but I, I will never make somebody feel bad about getting it or not. Getting it. It's it's everybody's, uh, you know, personal decision, and, and it's how it's the right choice for them personally. You know, you all you can do is look up the information, and then you have to believe the information that you're looking up. And the problem for me is there's just so much information out there that it's it, it, it's blurry, uh, and it's all politicized. So it's, it's very hard for me. And if I don't have to put something in my body. I, I'm not going to unless I'm 100% sure that it's uh, going to be effective. Okay, well, that's why I'm asking because, like I said, I'm still on the fence. I know their Delta variant is getting a lot of publicity, but after finding out that you were on the ventilator and then 
your bride came down with it. And it's like, well, you guys lived it. So you know more about it than I do. Yeah. Uh, you know, and when I was in the, when I was in the hospital, a lot of, you know, a lot of the nurses uh, had already got the vaccine. Uh, they were, they were quite worried about it, but it, I mean, they were, they were mainly doing things out of fear, not, not, not what, I mean, they weren't telling me any facts. They were, it was, they were afraid to get it. And the only way to stop it is, is to get it. And we got to stop it. We got to stop it. We got to stop it. And I'm not motivated by, by fear. So that's, it, you know, it doesn't work for me to, to, to do that. Yeah. And, and then we've seen cases where, you know, people that were vaccinated ended up getting uh, COVID anyway. So it's okay. Uh, but it's my understanding if you get vaccinated and you still get it, it will be a much milder case. Does that match up with your yeah, information? Well, yeah, that's that's what they that's what they say. Uh, and I don't have anything to to say that that's not true or or it is a hundred percent the case. Uh, yeah, the 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 problem that I have is like. You know, they're talking about, oh, now we got to get boosters. We got to do boosters because we're going to have all these variants. But the thing they don't say is with every variant that comes out, the virus actually gets weaker. So it's not as uh, it's, it's not as strong as the original. Now, okay. I mean, it can, do, it can do harm. But, I mean, if you look at the at this last one. Uh, it, it's a, I think they said it was attacking uh, younger people than it was than it was older people, but it was not as uh, as strong of a case. So we're we're here at the Delta variant now, and so when we get to the next one and the next one after that, it's it's going to be the same thing. And I think eventually it's going to be kind of just like what the flu is, where we have a we have a you know a vaccine that you take every year for the flu, your flu shot. Uh, but I mean, the flu can kill you, but it it normally doesn't. And if if you have problems with your lungs, uh, you know already it's it's typically not going to affect you know, a healthy person. Uh, but as long as you take the precautions, uh, you're not you're not going to get it. I mean, wash your hands. You know, when whenever whenever you're out, uh, don't eat something without cleaning your hands off first. When you're opening doors, you know, just remember you got to clean your hands. Don't touch your face. Just normal hygiene stuff that I think along the way that, you know, we everybody kind of just just so ignored. Basically, when we went in to, um, to see the doctor, he said that our bodies fight off by thousands of viruses a day. And so you get COVID when your immunity is low. So it's very important to take care of your body not overwork yourself you need to get sleep so it's just being being proactive okay yeah yeah some of the other things uh you know that that they told me and and actually what helped me uh what helped me start to get better was i, I wasn't eating enough protein and uh, a protein uh, apparently there's something about eating protein that that uh will help fight off uh covid like if you have covid or if you're recovering from COVID, uh, it, it, it will speed up your recovery. And supposedly zinc is helpful um, to keep your immunity up. Yeah, uh, the key here is is I, I think if people are just smart about 
you know, what, what they're doing from day to day. They watch, you know, what, what touches their hands and then, you know, their hands touch their face. You keep yourself clean and then take care of your body. Just, you know, do the, do the normal things that, that, uh, that you would do with, with hygiene and, uh, you know, maybe take some vitamin C or zinc or something to boost your immune system. And, and, uh, that's the best way to fight it off and the best way to keep from getting it. Uh, but you know, wearing, wearing the mask, uh, I, I don't think that that's going to keep you from getting it. A vaccine may or may not work. I'm, I'm still not a hundred percent sure because we've also run into the herd immunity. Uh, so is it the vaccine or is it the herd immunity? The reason that, uh, that the cases, uh, you know, went down, I, I don't know the answer to that. Well, and I can't either, and I've been tracking these numbers for over a year and posting them, looking for any type of pattern or anomaly and the information. I mean, this is coming from the CDC and John Hopkins, and it seems to just be all over the place, especially in the last six weeks where, you know, the cases have gone up, at least those that are reported. The deaths, luckily, those are going down. But yeah down south it's i mean brazil is right behind us believe it or not that's the second biggest country with uh, a high mortality rate yeah and well i mean again to the the other thing is i we don't know for sure about some of the other countries too because you don't know how their reporting is. Are they over-reporting or under-reporting? Uh, I mean, me, for one, I, I believe the U.S. over-reported uh, and China uh, severely no, I under-reported. I don't, if you look at what China's reported, give me a break. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. I mean, yeah. their numbers yeah. are so low, it's like, really? Okay. Yeah, the sad thing for me is is that they they politicized it. They made, they made this you know, something political where people have to pick one side or pick the other side. And, yes, and, and they then, did. you know, the information, you know, the, the information is just not, uh, it's hard, it's hard to trust because are you getting information from somebody who's siding with, with, uh, with side A or is that information coming from side B? And then you've got to be the one to take that information and determine what, what's real. Correct, and, and that's that's the hardest thing for me. And I think they, I, I mean, I think it's a disservice to everybody that they that they have politicized it. I think it, it could have been handled so much better, and and more effectively, you know, had it been less, you know, like like the flu or or like some other virus, like the H one N one in two thousand and eight, where sixty million people were infected, and only, luckily only fourteen thousand died. That wasn't politicized, right? Remember that, yeah. 60 million infected, but it wasn't that. And, you know, I remember when uh, Justin's youngest son, uh, Connor, got RSV. I was talking to my niece up in Tulsa, and what was that, four years ago? All the hospitals were packed. Hospitals here were packed. And that was, you know, for infants, that's pretty devastating. That's a nasty virus. And, Oh yeah, had, for sure. They had to take him to Children's Plano, but it wasn't all over the news. But then it wasn't an election either. Yeah. Well, and and, and yeah, I mean, it just goes back to my point. I think by by having it politicized, it 
I think it's hurt a lot of people. Maybe, you know, maybe some people made a decision based off their uh, uh, political affiliation and, and didn't go with, you know, I always like to say, you know, use use the brain that God gave you. You know, you can discern things. You have to look at both sides and not just one side. And you know what? If the side that you affiliate with is wrong, then admit it and go ahead and, and, and do what's necessary. Uh, but when people get stubborn one side or the other, you know, it, it, that's what causes the problem. Yeah, I'm going to talk about that later on in this broadcast. And I'm also going to blast the Rangers because I finally figured out what's wrong with those people. <laughs> I know what's wrong with the Texas Rangers now. Okay, with that, with the COVID aside, y'all enjoying the tournament? Oh yeah, no, this is the first. Uh, I, I guess the the first one that I've been to that's been kind of international. It had you know people from other countries here. This is it's been pretty cool. Yeah, you don't get out much. In fact, the last time you thought you were going to be international, I'm going to share this story. Was uh, when you thought you were going to go to Chicago to work for your employer. Oh, yeah, that was a long time ago, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, I, you know, for those that don't know Brian, I've known them for probably 25 years. 20. Yeah. We met in Plano. So that yeah, was I, I, 20 years. Well, Brian thought he was going to be transferred, and I said, you cannot get away from me. You cannot hide. And he was like, Oh, you are just full of shit, old man. I can go where I want to, and you won't know. Well, I set this up where his wife gave me the phone number of the people he was going to see in Chicago, and I called them, and we chatted. So Brian goes up for the interview, and he has dinner with him, and I call up, and I just have a grand old time talking to those people, and he's like, what the hell is going on? Do you remember that? Yeah, I do remember that. I'd have loved to see the yeah, look at your yeah, face going. The, it, it, he can't know where I'm at. Oh, but I did, didn't I? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I was trying to. I was trying to figure that out. Yeah, and the guy that you called was was probably may, maybe almost as bad as you, but but not quite. You 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 top it. You uh, you can figure out how to do anything, and uh, yeah, you got me bad on that one. And they, they had a good time. In fact, they they still joke to me about it. <laughs> That was classic. That was classic. Almost as bad as the night that I called when I was living in Tulsa and said, I'm going to come down there and kick your ass. And as I understand from your wife, you kept looking out the windows going, is he here? Is he here? Oh, I did. Anytime, anytime I saw some lights outside, I thought it was you. <laughs> yeah, like I would drive four and a half hours just to give you grief. No, that wasn't happening. <laughs> but you had me convinced it would so that's that's all that mattered it was the shock value and that's what i was in for oh yeah yeah all right well i'm gonna let you all get back to the game and i'm gonna get on with the show it is great to talk to you both oh yeah great talking to you have have a great show all right we'll talk to you later all right sounds good all right bye yeah right, bye. Those are good people, Brian and Susan. We, we've had a lot of fun through the years. Okay. The book review. I talked about this last week, The Music Maker of Auschwitz IV. Now, as I had spoken in the last episode, 
this is about a gentleman who gets <clears throat> captured by the Germans and how brutal it is. The Wehrmacht was just as bad as the SS to a degree when it came to the treatment of prisoners, and they were marched 170 miles on foot. And if prisoners died, they died. They didn't care. And this goes all the way through his liberation. And up until then, it is a historical work. And this book is by Jackie Barron, B-Y-R-N-E. It, it really is good because what happens after he's liberated? Well, we think about all the homecomings and how grand life is. Well, what he wasn't ready for was the complete change in society, as many of our servicemen coming back to the States found out that uh, women were no longer second-class citizens. They had learned to stand on their own two feet. They had learned how to survive. They had learned how to feed their families. They had learned all the things that typically men were in charge of. And it really became a very heartfelt story at the end. I loved it. Absolutely loved the ending. I, did, I wasn't expecting what was coming down the pipe, but man, did Jackie do a really good job honoring her, I believe, great-grandfather. Her grandfather. If you go to my Goodreads, Jeff Dawson on Goodreads, you can find my review on it. I don't think I posted it on the blog but I might after the show. Really, really good book. If you if you love World War II history, you're really going to enjoy this story because it, it does plot along and it does become repetitious because how many things can a prisoner of war write about on a day-to-day -day basis? Well, not much. So it does get a little long in the tooth, but once he gets liberated, that, my friends, is where the story takes off, and it is well worth your time. Okay, Texas Rangers. We are 28 games under 500 and counting. We're only 24 games out of first place. There's only two teams worse than us, the Diamondbacks and the Orioles. But at our current 10-loss streak, it's not going to take – if the Orioles are playing the way they are, hell, we might tie them for the second-worst record. Now, I watched this series against the Tigers, the last one, and I can't lose that because I'm a Detroit Tiger fan first and – uh Man, was I pleased with what I saw with Detroit because they've got a real manager and apparently they got a real front office. A.J. Hinch, if you take the Ranger players and you take the Tiger players and you put them side by side, it's the same damn team. There isn't a lot of difference. But on the field, it's a disaster, an absolute disaster. And the last 12 games, the Rangers have scored a whopping 25 runs versus 75. So they're being outscored three to one. 
doesn't that give you a warm, fuzzy feeling? Not me. So what do these brain, I, they're, they're not even brain sources. I don't know what, they, what the hell they are. They send Nick Solak down. And I read an article by some guy by the name of Steve Calhoun and Fanside. Well, if, if you don't perform, then Wood, Wood, Woodward is being serious about this and he's going to send you down. Well, let's see. Solak's fielding hasn't been phenomenal, but it's been pretty solid. Yeah, his batting average is 225. But what about uh, Hine, 223? Dahl, 222, Holt, 204, White, 174, Martin, 146. Hell, the best batting average is Dell is Dunning, who's a pitcher because he's one for three, so he's at 333. Oh, but we're going to send Solak down. Solak is one of the core pieces of this team. Gallo, Solak, Trevino, Kiner, Falefa. Those are the four solid guys. Now, I know Gallo's coming up on arbitration. Well, it's time to bite the damn bullet because you can't replace his defense. I don't care who you bring up. He reminds me of Dave Winfield. He has a cannon arm, and he can. no one is going to test it. And those that do get thrown out. Yeah, his batting average is, what was it recently, is 226. Okay, I'll take 226. When the league average is 241, to keep his defense, to keep that glove in right field. I mean, Shinsu Chu did a great job, but Joey Gallo has proven he does more than a great job. That's that's a gold glove. That is all-star material. But we want to send someone like Solak down where they brought Trevino back, so I don't know if they dropped a catcher or not. We've got one pitcher with a winning record, and that's Gibson. And this talk of a Gibson-Gallo package, well, let's just blow the whole damn team up. Let's get rid of our best pitcher and keep that ponytailed son of a bitch Fulton Newage. Man, that is what's wrong with the Texas Rangers. And if you didn't see it, I'll tell you what. Yeah, I'm mad some bitch right now. <clears throat> he got on that mound the other day. And he threw a pitch, and he didn't get the call. So he whimpered and whined and kind of stomped his feet and shuffled around. Then he threw a pitch, and the house jacked it out of the stadium for a three-run homer, which I'm going, hell yeah, go Tigers. Then he throws to another batter, and you can tell he's done. He's got this I-don't-give-a-shit attitude. You can see it on the mound. But uh, this idiot Calhoun wants to say, well, Woodward is taking a stance. And if you don't perform, you don't perform. You throw a fit like that on the field. And I guarantee you, if I'm the manager, I'm going out there. I'm taking the spikes and putting them in your ass and taking you off the field and go in the clubhouse because I don't want to see your goat smelling ass for the rest of the game. Woodward is the problem. When you let a player, Act like a child, a professional pitcher, act like he did on the mound and not chastise him. If that had been Billy Martin or Earl Weaver or Don Zimmer, just go through the list of great coaches, they would not have sat in the dugout and watched this embarrassing escapade, childish behavior 
occur on the mound that had gone out there and said, son, either you're about to get with the program or you're going to meet Jesus. You have a choice. What's it going to be? But what did Chris Woodward do? Oh, he's still thumbing through his damn notepad. I've managed players. I've coached players. And when I saw that type of behavior, you think I let that go on? Hell no. So what's going on in the locker room? These guys just doing what they want to and bitching and moaning and complaining and throwing fits and this, that, and the other. I have supported Chris Woodward through this season. You can go back and check the episodes. I've done it. But after seeing what he let that ponytailed son of a bitch do, I'm done. I'm done with him. He's not a professional baseball manager. He's an analytical idiot like the rest of these guys. That's all he is. Well, they got 50 on the payroll in the organization. That's about 49 too many. I don't see A.J. Hinch constantly going through his pad and making notes. He's watching the damn game. And if any of his players would have done that and shown their ass on the field, I guarantee you, he'd have plucked them in a heartbeat. Lou Pinella, Lou Pinella probably would have taken a bat and come out there and kneecap son of a bitch. That was unacceptable. And up until then, <clears throat> I have discussed this with my friends Bears and my good friend Wes Ford and anyone else who would listen. We're all trying to figure out what the hell's wrong with the Rangers. They, the, the team is not that bad. The players aren't. The manager, when I saw him let this clown, who's got a piss-poor record, a ridiculous ERA, show his ass at Co America Park. Man, you're done. I'll send you down. I'm keeping Solak, but you want to keep this kid and send Nick Solak to the minor? What a dumb ass move. Just stupid. They're done for the year. I, I see no hope after that. Absolutely embarrassing. I had a kid do that one year. It was a, nobody wants to be on the field when a pitcher is walking batters. Not today, not tomorrow. I mean, there's just no accountability with the Rangers. Well, this kid I'm talking about, I think he walked in three or four runs. And I went out to the mound and the catcher was standing at the plate. And I said, Mike, what the hell are you doing? You see me out here? Yeah. Then you get your ass up here. They'd had some type of football camp that morning. I didn't care. They had a baseball game that night. Come prepared. <clears throat> Eric had thrown God knows how many pitches past Mike. It was horrible. It's like every other pitch Mike had to chase. And that backstop was like 15 or 20 feet behind him. So it wasn't just, you know, it hits and bounce back. It wasn't happening. I went out there. And Eric had been a white. He'd been a pampered little whiner. No one had really just said, son, this is what we got to do. And that's exactly what I did. I don't want to hear about your curveball. I don't want to hear about your knuckleball. Your I don't want to hear anything. Here's what I want from you. I want you to take this white ball and throw it over that 
plate, throw it over that diamond into Mike's glove. Do you understand me? You have put your whole team to bed. Hell, the guys in the outfield, they've got lawn chairs. They've popped a cold one. They're on their phone setting up dates. One's smoking a cigar out there. That's what you've done to this team. You put them to sleep. And I don't care if the next 13 balls leave the stadium. At least they'll be awake. So here's the deal. You throw the ball to Mike. And if he has to chase one, if you throw a pitch that he can't get to and has to chase it, he's going to pick up the ball. He's going to look at the umpire and call time. Then he's going to walk out to the mound. He's going to take the spikes on his shoes and stick them in your butt. Then and only then will I take you out of the game. Do you understand me? And if you think I'm kidding, just try me. And I looked at Mike and said, do you understand what I'm saying? He goes, yes. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yes, sir. Very good. You get behind the plate, you throw the ball to him. Any questions? We're done. And I did that. In the 20 seconds that we're allowed to go out to the mound and talk to our pitchers before the umpire starts walking out, says, come on, boys, break it up, break it up, let's play ball. He never had to come out. I did it that quick. You know what happened after that? We had a ball game. Mike never chased another pitch. Eric threw the ball over the plate, and it didn't matter if we won or lost that game. But we're playing baseball. The Rangers are not playing baseball because there's no accountability, and I saw it with Fulton Newich. That, my friends, is what is wrong with the Texas Rangers. And Simpson and, uh, damn, who's the other owner? I thought I wrote those down. Simpson and Davis. You have the 19th highest payroll at $98 million in the MLB. Is this what you want your fans to watch? Are you happy with what's going on? I think Daniels has one more year on his contract unless you gave him some ridiculous extension when you promoted him to president, which was a really stupid move. Now we got Chris Davis as the GM. You need to find someone that understands the game of baseball and not a bunch of nerds that couldn't pull their head out of their ass with written directions because right now they can't. This is an utter disaster. Utter disaster. You need a manager who can manage players, not statistics. You can take them and stick them where you want to. You need a manager that can take the combination. You need a manager that has a lineup that looks something similar. There's no consistency to it. Hell, one night, Kiner Falefa is the leadoff. The next night, he's the eighth batter. What the hell is that? That's not building anything. That's not building continuity. It is not building self-confidence. These guys show up, and they don't know if they're playing or, or what position they're batting at. But you keep people like Heim, who I've been raising hell about. I understand Trevino's been hurt. There, there's no debate. Trevino is the starting catcher for the Rangers, unless you're a dumbass. But I see a lot of dumbassery going on, and it is pathetic. Your experiment was last year, but you blew that too. You put your one year, you put guys who are only going to have a contract for one year on the field for two months. 
and then brought in your future for the last month. That was a that I mean a brain surgeon can see how stupid that was. But obviously the Ranger organization can't. Do I hope the ask do I hope the Rangers break this losing streak? There was a time where I would say yes. That 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 time has passed. I hope Houston just sweeps them. And then when they come home, who are we going to play? The Diamondbacks. And then the Mariners. We don't do well against the Diamondbacks. Come on down to Texas. Get two. No one is afraid to play the Rangers this year. I'd take a high school team to play them just to see how we do. It's pathetic, but that's the problem. It was all on display on the mound when Woodward didn't go out there and read Fulton the riot act. And I don't give a damn what Nitwit Nitkowski and Raymond have to say because they're some real sharp cookies. I mean, when the Rangers finally scored a run, and this is in my ridiculous comment section, what did who did Nitwit quote? Dora, the explorer, we did it. What the hell? You're going to quote Dora, the explorer, you nitwit? And then that bobblehead Raymond sitting there laughing about it. Of course, Emily Jones, well, don't even need her. Just go away. Just don't need this sideline crap because they're not even traveling with the team. They're all here in Texas calling from the stadium. What a bunch of maroons. Of course, you look at who's in the announcing booth, and that's what the that's what the Rangers want. It's say no more. Dora the Explorer. What? Just it's right up there with Joe Biden saying Facebook is killing people. Where do these people come from? What are they smoking? I don't know. But it's aggravating as hell. I mean, the team is playing bad. Announcers, just shut the hell up. You have nothing to add to this fiasco. None of your little little comments and stories about what nobody cares. We're watching this in utter horror. And all you're doing is adding to it. Hell, Cassandra Peterson, Elvira, wouldn't have you on her horror show because you're all pathetic. Or she is pretty smoking hot, even at her age. But damn, it's from top to bottom. It's the whole damn team. But yeah, let me take a break. You can go out and show your ass and not be reprimanded. That is the Texas Rangers. So what are these guys playing for this year? Probably see if they can get the hell out of Dodge. That's what I'd be playing for. Sending Nick Solak down. That's just bullshit. That's my take on the Texas Rangers. Oh. Jesus. Okay. 
Now, I didn't get a chance this morning to put the numbers together, but you do know that they finally are taking down the six-mile wall in D.C. When I ran the numbers back in April, we're at about $500 million. Now, that included the $100 million for the inauguration. Who's covering that story on the cost? Did you see it on Fox? No. CNN? No. MSNBC? No. NPR? No. It's just no across the board. It's got to be just under a billion dollars. Is anybody talking about that? No. Why? Well, as everyone likes to say now, you know, you see it on all the networks and now you're starting to see it after post-game interviews. Well, that's a really good question. And all the networks, I mean, they, they all work together. Well, that's a really good question. I want one to say that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Are you all just idiots or what? It better be a good question. Isn't that what they're paid two to $10 million to do is to ask important questions and not ignorant ones? But they act like, oh, well, I need to prop them up. And if Martha McCallum ever asked a good question, that'd just shock the hell out of me. And then when she does, she usually gets blown out of the water with the response because she's not prepared, but that's neither here nor there. But why isn't anybody addressing this? The only thing you've heard them address is on this infrastructure bill and that, well, the Republicans didn't want to, didn't approve it. Because in that bill is money to pay for the National Guard. But it's just not the National Guard, folks. All those concrete barriers and that fencing, government doesn't own that shit. They had to rent it. They got to pay the crews to come in and set that. I've set barrier wall or Jersey barrier, whatever you want to call it. I know what they cost. I know what the states charge. That stuff wasn't lying around D.C. Not six miles worth. And if you looked at it, that was all in really pristine condition. So, uh, yeah, they bought that. Because the concrete plants don't rent those. And all that fencing, now the fence is rental. But that's a whole different crew that comes in. So what, like I said, it's probably right under a billion dollars that cost. And not one of those networks is covering it. I guess spending a billion dollars isn't news anymore when your deficit is at 28 trillion. What's another billion? Who cares? I don't know. Who cares? Now, the next thing we've got is Afghanistan. We've been there 20 years. I had a cousin. I have a cousin. Johnny's still alive. And he used to, I think he still does, 
his big business was going to Afghanistan and buying rugs, then bringing them to the States and selling them. He was one of the few Americans that was given a visa to go over there during the Russian occupation. And I remember asking Johnny years ago, will the Russians ever win this? And he said, no, they'll control the major towns, but they will never surround. They will never control the countryside. There are too many caves. There's too many hideouts in that mountainous region. You can have the cities, but you're not going to control the countryside. And that's what we're seeing right now. Everyone is plastering this and they want to make it a political ploy. 30 years ago, let's see, that had been 80, 20, 40. 40 years ago, I was told this by a man, my cousin, who went there and traded with these people and said, you won't conquer them. Now, when we invaded Afghanistan because of 9-11, you'd have to go back through the DOD to see what was the plan after Al-Qaeda and Osama were killed. History says you can't hold it. Well, we thought we could eliminate Al-Qaeda. And for the most part, we did. And for the most part, the Russians did. Only they didn't have to deal with Al-Qaeda. They dealt with the rebels that became Al-Qaeda, who we helped supply and train because Russia was our enemy. Those people don't want anybody there. And remember, Trump had said we were pulling out in May. And the media went nuts about, especially the conservative, which is Fox, about, well, you just told them when we're leaving. Well, Trump said the same thing. And I talked to one of my good friends who retired as a full bird colonel and he hated to see, he hates to see us pull out because of the lives and the money we've spent. But in his last sentence, he said, it's unwinnable. We can't police the world. We have somewhat learned that. But did this go on too long? It did. I know know that was a sore point that Trump had with his generals that, what are we doing there? It's time to come home. And they didn't like that. Was that the military-industrial complex at work? I can't answer that. But, I mean, he fought with his generals over this. And that's why... uh, Damn, who was the last one? He, he went through a bunch of them that uh, they just didn't agree. And Donald said, then you're gone. And he was. He can't win it. You got to let them deal with their own deal because no matter who's there, 
their main economy is the poppy. They know that. That's their economy. Drugs. Just like the Vietnamese. They didn't care if it took a hundred years to reunite Vietnam. They could wait. And they did. And they won. They don't think like Westerners do. Okay? It's just the way it is. Okay. Am I a fan of Joe Biden? No. Not at all. And that was really on spotlight, not because he said that Facebook is killing people and the other hundred gaffes that he keeps spouting out of his mouth and people have to keep cleaning up. It was what he had his Secretary of State Blinken do at the U.N. Remember, Biden's all about human rights. Well, we know who two of the biggest transgressors of human rights are, and that's North Korea and China. Joe said he was going to take a hard stance against them. Yeah. Yet he has Blinken go before the U.N. after China exposes or makes mention of the Tulsa race riot massacre, however you want to term it. China throws that back at Biden's administration. And so Blinken, in his brilliance, with the support of his boss, says the UN will now conduct a thorough investigation into racism of the United States. And we completely support that because we want to be transparent. Kick, stick that in your goat-smelling ass. You're doing exactly what China wants you to do. You, they are deflecting what they're doing, so you only focus on what's going on here and keep tearing this country apart. So China can continue to do what they do. And until they're convinced that the United States has thoroughly addressed the, quote, racism that apparently is so rampant in our society, we can't get along with each other, which that's a bunch of crap because I've got Mexican, Black, Puerto Rican, Asian, and, and white friends. I talk with them every day where I live. We have no animosity towards each other. And they're all saying all they're doing is stirring this pot and it's not the right thing to do. Mr. Stewart, who I mentioned earlier, he feels the same way. You know, and I always quote Isaac Hill, who I met years ago in construction very nice man and why do I have to tell you what his skin color is but I have to for this discussion that he was black I said I what do you think about all this racial crap going on in South Dallas 
because back then there were problems. That was probably in the, I met him late eighties, late eighties, about 89 or 90. Cause he was doing work for me. And he, he got down to the gist of the whole thing. He goes, Jeff, there's only two colors that I'm interested in. Well, what are those gold and green? Everything else is bullshit. Yeah, you're right. Everything else is bullshit. Racism is where you want it to be. If you want to keep stoking that fire, keep stoking it. It's not going to turn out well at all. But we just played into China's hands. And I, like I said, I wrote an article on this and I put it on my blog if you want to read it. But this is playing into your enemy's hands. Let's deflect the attention from the real issue of the civil rights that are being violated on a daily basis in China in North Korea and okay, we'll leave you alone until we have seen your report, how you're dealing with it. And we fell for it. What not, not we, but Biden and his minions took it hook, line and sinker. Damn. Well done. So let's say it takes two years, three years to do a report and they submit it for China's approval. And why does everyone have to keep saying communist China? Duh. Uh, Those of us old enough remember Mao Zedong when Nixon went to visit China the first president to do so after the end of World War II, the press wasn't saying communist China. They said, Nixon's going to China. That's the China ping pong team. But if you watch Fox, it's like they have to emphasize it's communist China. That's like emphasizing from 1933 to 1945, it was Nazi Germany. Duh. Dumbasses. Yeah, I'm a little worked up today. Extremely. But just play into their hands. Well done. Well done. That's about, and I'm sure. President Xi's just laughing his yellow ass off. Look what those stupid Americans are doing. But thanks to our media, they're the ones that gave China. China didn't know about the Tulsa race riot or massacre. Our media is so screwed up. Let's just keep giving our enemies all the information they need to attack us. Makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? No. Okay. Now, 
as I understand, because this came up at dinner last night, that I think Trump is speaking in Arizona. I don't know where. I don't know why. But I want to know when he's going to get behind a young, intelligent, articulate candidate. Because that's what we need. And I was reminded of this when I was watching Darkest Hour this morning. If you haven't seen it, that's about Winston Churchill becoming the prime minister of Great Britain but it was not an easy task. Atwell and Chamberlain were not fans of his at all, as were many of those bureaucrats that ran the government. They didn't like Winston because Winston was a barbarian. Winston had backbone. Winston was outspoken. At one time, he scared King George, but then he realized this is the path we need to take. Churchill had seen the writing on the wall, and it wasn't good. At the current rate, the swastika would be over Buckingham Palace. It would be over Piccadilly. Because everyone kept appeasing Hitler. They gave him the Ruhr. They gave him the Rhineland. They gave him Austria, which that didn't really bother them too much. But they gave him Czechoslovakia, and then they gave him Poland. And they thought in their brilliance that, uh, okay, Hitler's appeased. He's got what he wants. He said he doesn't want any more. And then he took Norway. And that was a race of time. And the Germans just, they won it in the nick time. They got there just before the British did. They lost Norway. Well, well, that's okay. Hitler's happy. He wasn't happy. He wasn't finished. As the German troops are flooding into France, the old guard still thinks We can get good peace terms with Hitler. Good luck with that. And this appeasement has got to stop. And, you know, conservatives, that's what our elected leaders are doing. They don't have a spine like Winston Churchill. And I don't see it on the Democratic side either. I don't see anyone with a spine. What I see 
is a bunch of useless appeasers. I listen to people talk about the 2022 election and that the Republicans will take back the House and take back the Senate and do what? Appease? That's what they'll do. They will appease somebody. They will appease the power brokers. They will appease the corporations. They will appease the lobbyists. They will not fight on the sand. They will not fight in the streets. They will not fight in the houses. They will appease because they want the power and they want the money and they don't give a damn about the average person. There are a few that do, but there are very few that do. If Churchill would have been an appeaser, England falls. I mean, when you watch the movie, Churchill is caught between a rock and a hard place. Until he go because of the politicians. I don't want to skip by that. Because of the backdoor politicking that's going on, and he knows it's going on, that they're trying to get him removed if he won't say that I will attempt to get a peace treaty with Hitler. And I know it was dramatized, but he goes to the people. And what did the people say to him on the underground? Even if the Germans are marching down the streets of London, what do those people say? We will fight. We will fight. We will fight. We will never surrender. And it's one of his greatest speeches he ever gave. And it rallied the country. It rallied the people. The people told the politicians what they wanted. Yes, there was a group that was willing to give in to Hitler's demands, and that's who Hess went to see. And he was immediately captured and put in prison. But there was a group that, as long as they kept their standing and their position and their wealth, they'd gladly sign a peace treaty with Adolf Hitler and Nazi Germany. The appeasement's got to stop. And we need a candidate, and it's not Donald. It might be Santos, but we need an American candidate. We don't need a Republican, and we don't need a Democrat. We need a an American candidate to run for the presidency. Yes, Churchill got knocked out after the war. But if it weren't for Winston, how would World War II have turned out? We don't have an island to mass our troops on. Do we win the war? Because Germany's still slugging it out with Russia. Or does it drag on a lot longer to the point that the American public say, that's enough, it's not our problem? Obviously, we'll never know that. But if you've seen the movie Fatherland, that's kind of what happens. 
it's not the greatest film ever made. It is free on YouTube, but it does show how the world could have changed. We'd have never known about the Holocaust. But we keep, you watch the news, you listen to these politicians, they're all a bunch of damn talking heads. They're all doing interviews on all the networks. I want to see work. I want to do not want to see your face in front of the camera. I want to see you work. No, they're appeasing. Enough. Enough of the appeasement crap. We need a candidate with the qualities of Truman, Eisenhower, the charisma of Kennedy, yet the backbone of Truman. Him firing Douglas MacArthur was not a popular decision by any stretch of the imagination. But when a general shuns the commander-in-chief, it's time to go. When he disobeys flat out what his commander-in-chief says, it's time to go. If we had the press today, Back in Truman's time, they'd have vilified Harry because Doug was a hero. Doug defied the president. Doug had to go. That's all there was to it. But Eisenhower, a man who could bring anyone together, he did it during World War II. He did it with the formation of NATO. He knew how to work with people. A backbone of Truman, the charisma of JFK. And that's two Democrats, one Republican. But I'm not looking at party. I'm looking at Americans. They were Americans. That's not what we have today. You're either a Democrat or you're a Republican. That's got to change. And that's the type of candidate we need. And I'm not going to use the term reach you got to reach across the aisle. No, I'm going to bring together the people as Churchill did. I'm going to bring the people together. We're going to come together. We're going to identify our enemy, and we're going to fight our enemy, and the politicians will either come along or they will be railroaded out of town and be replaced by those who want to stand and fight for Great Britain and stop this onslaught of the Nazi plague. That's what America needs to do. We are fighting our politicians. They are not fighting for us. And our government is of the people, by the people, and for the people, but that is not the case anymore. It is for the elite, of the elite, and by the elite. And the elite is the beltway in Washington, D.C. There are a few that remember that, that understand what the founding fathers put together in the Constitution. But there are too many that are there for themselves 
and for their own personal gain and their own personal wealth. Unless you made really good uh, investments over the years, you don't become a multi, multi-millionaire on a senator or congressman's salary. It's just not possible. Like I said, you better either have married into money like Pelosi did or really like buying Bitcoin when it was useless 20 years ago and you bought a thousand useless Bitcoins. Well, yeah, now you're way up there. This is what we need. I'm sick of the party. I'm just sick of, and it's got to change. We've got to have a moment. We need a person that doesn't bring the parties together. He or she brings the people together. When you bring the people together, the politicians either fall in line or they will disappear by the wayside. Now, who is that person? I don't know. I know who it isn't. And it isn't Donald Trump. He had the right ideas. But his personality is just abhorrent at times. And I made it very clear to many people, I wouldn't drink a cup of coffee with some bitch. And if he did call and invited me, I'd want to make sure who's paying for this. Because I've worked for developers through the year and they are tight, wad, sons of bitches. So I would want to know that up front. Are you paying for this? If not, I'm not showing up. His policies worked. His mouth didn't. So if you can take his policies and then find a candidate with the qualities of Eisenhower, Truman, and JFK, you got a winner. You have an American running for the presidency of these United States, and he will be running for the people, and he will govern for the people, not for the special interest groups. That is what we need. Okay. I just love listening to some of Winston's speeches. Now, if you like this content and you like what you're here, then you can get a subscription on this BBS Radio 1 and it's $2.99, $5.99, or $9.99 a month. 
In fact, I believe you can contribute any amount you want to. I could be wrong, but those are what they have. Those are the amounts that they have on the website. And I would definitely appreciate your support because this is how I'm making my living now. I got out of construction. I also have a GoFundMe for Jeff Dawson, motivational speaker and author for hire. That's always helpful. And I am putting together some management seminars. I'm going to be contacting people. I have contacted a few people last week and a few more this week. And I retitled Do Your Damn Job Cutting to the Chase because I believe that's a little softer to some of the ears and it just doesn't smack millennials or anyone else up the side of the face going, are you telling me to do my damn job? But what I... What these seminars are going to cover is a lot of what I went through here, you know, whether it's the Rangers, whether it's politics, but it's accountability. In fact, I had a debate before the show on what do you do when you have a problem with employees? Well, Some would say I handled it rashly, but I was always big and still am on accountability. If you make a mistake, you raise your hand. I made a mistake. Don't lie about it. Don't try and cover it up and don't blame it on somebody else. I I made the mistake. I raised my hand. I'm guilty. Okay. Well, what happens when you have an employee that doesn't want to do that or an employee? that wants to stir the pot and try and deflect a uh, backdoor move. This happened on a job site. My superintendent came into the office. It was a Saturday morning, mad as a hornet. I'm like, Jesus Christ, dude, what is wrong now? He's quitting. Man, he's quitting. What do you mean you're quitting? You're not going anywhere. Yeah, I am. Screw this. I'm out of here. Whoa, 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 whoa. What's the problem? And he proceeded to tell me what the problem is, that another superintendent was taking pictures of what was going on on the job site, which that's not a big deal, but he assumed, and he was probably correct, that he was taking pictures so he could send it back to the owner of the company to show all the wasted labor. Because what I had set up, was I wanted everyone to understand how to set up a drill shaft for the and set the anchor bolt so when we pour it, if they have to do it, they know how to do it. It was a training day. I was big on training. I was big on people learning a new craft, a new trade. They would be a better asset to the company and to me when they came to my job sites. It was very damn simple. So I called Martina and I said, get in here. Now, I want you at my office now. And Martin come. what's wrong? I said, don't ask questions. Just get your ass over here. And he shows up, gets out of his truck. And I said, okay, here's the deal. You see John right here? Yeah, John's ready to quit because of you and what you were doing out there. Okay? I need John more than I need you. And you, if you recall in our meeting six months ago or nine months ago, whatever it was, I am in charge of this project, correct? Yes. Okay. 
I need him more than I need you. But I need both of you to get these jobs done. Do you understand that? Now, you two figure it out right now. And I'm just going to stand here. And I got my coffee cup and I lit up the smoke. And uh, those two hashed it out right there. And they weren't leaving until it was hashed out. And they weren't leaving until they came to an understanding on how we worked out there. Martine was wrong in what he did. John had a knee-jerk reaction. He was wrong in what he did. Come to me and tell me I'm quitting. Bullshit. Handle it like men. Let's get her done. Okay? Get her done. They got it handled. Like men. And once they were done, and once they shook hands, I said, both of you get the hell off of my yard and go home. They're gone. You've you got to hold people accountable. There's a right way and there's a wrong way. If you have an issue that is festering, and if you don't address it and it pops, then there's going to be pus and blood and everything all over the place and a hell of a thing clean up. Is that what you want? No. You want issues resolved. You want them addressed when you see the problem, and you want to take care of it. It's being a manager. Something the Texas Rangers don't have as a manager. No one is accountable. Who's accountable in D.C.? Who do you see in any of those organizations that are willing to raise their hand and say, I made the mistake? Harry Truman said the buck stops here, and it did. Show me a politician that does that today. Just, just one. Donald didn't. Biden isn't. Clinton didn't. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. Bullshit. Obama? No. Reagan? Think about it. No. Not at first. Iran-Contra affair? What did Ronald say? I didn't know anything about it. Admiral Poindexter took the fall for the whole thing. I believe it was Poindexter. Ollie North took the fall. Six months later, Ron came out and said, well, yeah, I, I, I did know about that. But, uh, you know, at the time, uh, well, I knew. And his ratings plummeted. So you can't use Ronnie. Demigata? No. Ford? No, Ford was just a stand-in to finish off Nixon's years. Nixon? Well, I I, I, I don't know anything about the tapes. Are, are there tapes? Where, where are the tapes? I don't know. 
He did get us out of Vietnam. LBJ, yeah, right. JFK, yeah, maybe he was just friends with Marilyn Monroe, but he did stand up to the Soviet Union, and he did not back down when he blockaded Cuba. You're not bringing the damn missiles and putting them 90 miles off of coast Florida. Now, Marilyn, step back for a minute. I got to talk to people. Eisenhower and Truman. God, isn't that sad? How far back do you have to go for you can find accountability in government with the, quote, president of the United States? Ridiculous. And the ones we're putting in right now, they're not just to get worse. And I said this in the last episode, we don't need critical race thinking. We need critical thinking in our schools. We need to teach our children how to think for themselves. And you judge people by their merits and not their skin color. You're going to have plenty of people you don't like in your own race. You're going to have plenty of people you don't like in other races. But you're going to have a whole lot of people that you do like, and that's going to outweigh those you don't. And that's critical thinking, of which we don't have. We sure the hell don't have it in Washington, D.C. We sure don't have it with the Texas Rangers. See how you can tie all this together? It's synergy. It all comes together. It all comes down to the same thing. Accountability. Responsibility. What novel ideas, but if you don't have critical thinking, you can't do any of that shit because you're going to blame it on everybody else but yourself. And that would just infuriate me on job sites when these people would not take responsibility for their own damn actions and their own screw-ups. That's what we need to get back to. That's where we need to go. Okay. I said I would end this on a high note, and I'm going to. Because on July 20th, There were three major events that come to mind, two historical, one personal. July 20th, 1944, the uh, Stauffenberg and the general staff tried to kill Hitler and it failed. And about 2,000 people died over that. The next one is 1969 and the moon landing. That was phenomenal. I was sitting in my dad's den drinking Canada Dry Tahitian Punch, watching a black and white that was probably about as big as my computer monitor. About the same size, black and white. How cool is that? The other thing is this book, Love's True Second Chance. 
because Debbie Beck Larson died on July 20th, 2009, 12 years ago. This book is dedicated to the relationship that she and I had. It was spanned 30 years, but in that 30 years, it was we were only together 25 months. But what we did in those 25 months was a lot, especially the last seven when we got back together in January of 2009. We packed a lifetime of love in seven months. Debbie was that one girl, at least for me, and I will show you her picture. See how pretty she is. And that's what hit, what hooked Louisa that I mentioned at the very beginning of the show. She saw the picture and a lot of gals see this and go, she was real. And I said, yes, yeah, she was very real. So that really interests them because this is a love story told to a man. But what we did in those seven months was fantastic. What we did in high school was a lot of fun, but, you know, that was a high school romance. And we know how those go. And we know how the breakups go. And they're devastating. It happens. So, on the high note, get my glasses so I can read. I'm going to read you. What time is it? 3.35. So, we've got 20 minutes or so. I'm going to read this poem that starts the book out. Like I said, it's, it's on Amazon. It's three fifty-seven for the ebook and eleven fifty-seven for the uh, print copy. And it's entitled "Where Have You Gone?" I remember those carefree days, the girlish, happy smile, the days of high school, where only our love mattered. The bus rides to the games and back, trips to the river bridge, where our thoughts were one. The nights filled of passion in the truck, the moonlight dancing off our sweat-covered bodies. Our paths parted in a sea of tears, the hurt, the pain of the past, always just under the surface. A flash of sunlight, a familiar smile met with pain and hostility. The smile vanishes, the pain and hurt boil up, yet the feelings of love never lost, only suppressed. And I'll stop there. This happened at Oklahoma State. We both went to college there. And all these years, I can still see that. I'm standing in front of the library with a friend. We just bombed a test. We're trying to figure out where we're going to go drown our sorrows. And I look to my right towards the student union, and I see this figure coming towards me. And it's like, it can't be. It can't be. It cannot be. It was. It was Debbie. And she's got that pretty smile like she has in her picture coming up to me and says, hi, Jeff, how are you doing? I just looked at her and said, not worth a damn. What the hell do you want? Yeah, that'll win her over, won't it? No. Well, that smile vanished and she goes, well, I just thought it'd be nice to say hi to you. And I was like, I'm sure I said, well, you thought wrong. Yeah, this was like three years after we'd broken up and I was still pissed off. What a dumbass. But then I wasn't the brightest bulb, and I do use that in the book in a few places, but that's how that scene played out. 
a trip to Tulsa, a business card in a mailbox, a phone call two weeks later, and the past awakens. The smile, the pain, the hurt, the memories pour in like a raging river out of its banks. Is it worth the chance? Is it worth opening the heart again? Is it worth another trip to the unknown? The smile is the same. The feelings of love spring up. The past is forgotten. The present and future are all that matter. Or is it? Seven months of life together. We laugh, we cry, we love. Chasing children, sharing their lives. Strawberry shake in the face. Movies from a galaxy long ago. Steaks, chicken and seasonings grilled to perfection with love. A snowball fight, a walk in the white soft flakes, a pause on the sidewalk. We embrace, kiss long and deep, letting our bodies provide the warmth. I'm going to stop there for a minute because this is another moment that I can, it's still there. I can still see it. We walked around the block, got out of the wind. It was so quiet. No one had been out. And you know what that's like. You've got this pristine snow. It was probably six or eight inches deep. And it's pure silence because it's absorbing all the sounds, if there are any. And just I look down at her. She's in her red peacock coat. I've got my OSU jacket on. And I just look in her beautiful brown eyes and say, damn, Debbie, I really do love you. And she smiles and we kiss. And that was just, that is one of those moments that you just want to capture and put in a bottle and save it till the end of time. I'm so glad I got to experience this with her. The diagnosis, it's back. Consoling the daughters, a call to the parents, a call to the EMTs. The present and the future are slipping away. The final hours of life, only the sounds of deep, painful breathing. The halls are silent. Nothing but thoughts for 30 years circle. The end is closing in. The cancer is tracking its deadly course. A warm hand rubs a chest going cold. The breathing has stopped. The pain is flowing out of her face. The doctor comes in. The verdict is quiet with compassion. I am so sorry. She's gone. Where have you gone? Life has come to a stop. There is nothing that matters anymore. A never forgotten love has been taken in the prime of life. A bench in a cemetery with no one else around. The tears pour uncontrollably. We, we cry. Where have you gone? A voice, soft and tender, floats down. I'm fine. Where have I gone? A place where the cancer has healed. A place where mistakes of the past have been forgiven. A place where I can look down to watch and help. A place where only love resides. The place, heaven. That is where I have gone. I detailed that part that took place the cemetery in Seagoville, Texas, in my short story, which is a speech, speech presentation of why did everything happen, where I talk about my losing my partner, my father, and Debbie to cancer. In fact, that's what LDD focus in. I bring it back. That's what LDDJ stands for. 
Larry, Dad, Debbie, and Jeff. That was the first one that I wrote. How are we doing on time? You think I ought to read the first chapter? It's not that, yeah, it's not that long. We've got a few minutes left. Now, when I wrote this book, I really had to think about it. Because I chronicle our 25 months together over 30 years. By the poem, you know how it ends. Debbie's not going to live. So do I put this at the end of the book? It's chapter 18. Or do I make it the first chapter so you don't have to go through this huge buildup and are hoping our love and relationship will last, knowing where's that chapter where she dies? I said, let's just do it at the beginning. And this is what I told Louisa last night. You know by the poem, Debbie's going to die. So let's get it over in the first chapter. Now, with that done, there is no buildup to this. You will read her oldest daughter Jessica's thoughts in one of the latter chapters when she is admitted to the hospital, but you already know. So you don't have to worry about it. And it just doesn't bum you out. Now you can concentrate on when we met in 1977 and how our lives went forward and don't worry about this devastating loss that you know is coming. It's already happened. So here we go. Chapter one, the end. July 20th, 2009, 7 a.m. I had held her hand and kissed her face with the arrival of a sunny, beautiful morning, hoping for a miracle. The shift changes in full swing. Staff checking in, charts being reviewed, doctors and nurses exchanging information, vital signs being verified. Debbie's breathing is labored as it had been for the last 24 hours. I never knew if each breath would be her last. The cancer is running its course through her beautiful body at a terrible pace. An aide came in to change the sheets and clean her up. She asked if I would like her to wash Debbie's hair. I pondered the thought for a minute, looking at the love of my life and replied in a hushed tone, she would like that. How long will it take to change her and wash her hair? She said about 15 minutes. I stepped out of the room and called her friend Kathy to get an updated time of arrival. She assured me that she would be at the hospital within 30 minutes. Debbie is in good hands with the aide. I, I decided to get some air, purchase a Coke, and have a smoke. I went to the store with one thought running through my mind. Is there anything else I can do for her? Had I done everything I could for the love of my life? Would God sit by her side and let her live out her life on earth or whisper in her ear, take her hand, and guide her to heaven? I had no control over what was happening to her. Kathy arrived at the hospital room at 8.50 a.m. She'd been detained by her hubby who was in the process of coming home from Alaska after a three-month tour with the railroad. She called looking for me. I told her I was downstairs having a smoke and would be up in a few minutes. She said, Deb is doing fine. My gut told me different. Something had changed. There was something in the air which didn't feel right. I hurried back into the hospital. 
The elevator took an eternity to reach the third floor. I rushed down the hallway with a sense of urgency and hesitancy. I entered the room. Kathy was standing to the left of the bed. She asked how I was. I never responded. Her labored breathing had stopped. Kathy, how long has she been like this? She heard the concern in my voice and saw the look of worry on my face. She moved closer to the bed, put her fingers on Debbie's right wrist, checking for a pulse. She wanted to believe she felt one. I laid my hand on her warm chest. It wasn't moving. The pain in her face was starting to subside. I believe Kathy said she was going to get a nurse. All I could do was rub her chest and stroke her hair. Tears were starting to fall from my eyes. The nurse came in and slowly moved me to check for any sign of life. Without a word, she exited the room, looking for the doctor on call. He entered the room with the nurse. They both checked her signs of life. The doctor slowly turned, looked me in the eye, placed his hand on my right shoulder and said the words with as much compassion as possible. I'm very sorry. She's gone. I digested his words and began understanding the depth of our love. My heart didn't break. It literally shattered into a million pieces. I turned towards Kathy, collapsed into her arms, crying uncontrollably. Our 30-year love affair was over. And then we go into 1977, Tulsa Memorial High School. So if you like a true love story written by a man, with the permission of Debbie's daughters, who were the first editors, then this book is for you. It has 75 really good reviews on Amazon. Well, I think we have covered it all today. With a little time to spare, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you will help support me by being a monthly subscriber to BBS Radio 1 or do a donation on the GoFundMe. Call me to do a training, a management training seminar, or go to Amazon and buy my books. I appreciate everyone who listens to the show and watches it, does the downloads, provides me comments. And that's about all I've got today. So you all enjoy the rest of your weekend. And I will talk to you in two weeks. Have a great Saturday evening and Sunday day. I hope you enjoyed our time together. I know I did. Without you wonderful listeners, this show would not be possible. If you want to know more about me and how my brain works, that's a scary thought. Check out my books at jeffdawsononamazon.com, websites LDDJ Enterprises, and jeffdawsonauthor.site for upcoming releases 
and teaser excerpts from past and present publications. You can also contact me at Facebook, LDDJ Enterprises Publishing, or email LDDJEnterprises at gmail.com or on Twitter at JeffDawson59. Have a great week and look forward to seeing you on the next episode of Dawson's Domain.